Wild Precious Life is brought to you in part by Parnassus Books, the independent bookstore for independent people located in Nashville, Tennessee. Parnassus stocks an extensive and exciting selection of books, including fiction, nonfiction, children's, local interest, and the arts. Find your next great read and shop online at Parnassus.net. And by the Ashland University Low Res MFA in Creative Writing where accomplished faculty help you find your voice and complete your degree at your own pace. Learn more and enroll today at ashland.edu. I'm Anne-Marie Kelly. Welcome to Wild Precious Life, a podcast about dreaming big and making real connections. In each episode, I talk to prize-winning writers, musicians, and entrepreneurs who teach all of us how to make the most of the time we have. I don't always know if I believe in God. I know that's a strange thing to say at the beginning of a podcast, but I feel like it's important to put out there in light of today's conversation. I am a lifelong churchgoer. As a child, I attended Sunday school, and as an adult, I sang in choirs. I love sacred Latin chants and I am seldom happier than when my voice is raised in joyful chorus. I was married in the church. Some of my closest friends are folks I met on Sunday mornings. I am a godmother, for God's sake. How could I not believe? As I've mentioned in previous episodes, my dad died last year after a two-and-a-half-year struggle with terminal cancer. We were by his side for all the things, the brain surgery, the hospital stays, The radiation, the chemo, the seizures, the memory loss. It was all a labor of love. But it was also so much worse than I ever imagined it would be to see the larger-than-life dad who raised me, who pushed me on the rope swing high into the tree branches in our front yard, who gave us dolphin rides on his back at the city pool. It was devastating to see this guy so diminished, both by the cancer inside his head and by the medications we administered to try to stop it. Throughout what people optimistically called dad's cancer journey, I prayed to God. First, I prayed for a cure. I prayed for magic, an intervention that would take dad's incurable brain cancer and somehow make it different. Then, when it was clear no such miracle was coming, I prayed for ease and mercy. I did not want my dad to suffer. And for the most part, I guess he didn't. Dad mostly didn't remember what he was forgetting. When he stopped eating, he didn't know he was hungry. Even when he could no longer say, I love you, he could still grab my hand and squeeze. I sat with my dad the night he died. I sang, gave him his meds. I held his hand. I was with him when he passed away, when his body went stiff, when his eyes lost their light, and when the men from the funeral home zipped him into a bag and took him away. I know love was there that night. But where was God? I did not catch a glimpse of light on the wing of a dove. I didn't hear a song from the heavens or a sign on the wind. I did not feel a voice inside me saying words of comfort or peace. If there is a God, I cannot help but feel he abandoned me in the hour of my greatest need. Which is why I guess it has been easier in the months since my dad's death not to believe. If there's not a God, then we were not abandoned. We are just a family who went through a horrible time with cancer which millions of people suffer from every single year. There is something so much easier about embracing that doubt. But recently, I came across a children's book that made room for both doubt and belief. 
What is God Like?, co-written by Matthew Paul Turner and the late Rachel Held Evans, is part magic, part acceptance, part questioning, and all love. The book reduced me to a puddle on my kitchen floor, and I wanted to talk to the people who wrote it. So my guest today is Matthew Paul Turner, blogger, speaker, and author of many books, including When God Made You, When I Pray For You, and the recent New York Times number one bestseller, What Is God Like? Matthew lives in Nashville, Tennessee with his three children. Matthew Paul Turner, welcome to Wild Precious Life. It is good to be here, Anne-Marie. How are you? I am groovy. I'm good. I'm glad to have you join me in my attic recording studio here. I often start off by asking guests their story, and we will absolutely get to yours. But um, I feel like there's a third person in the studio. For those who have not ever met Rachel Held Evans, I would love for you to tell us who she was. First and foremost, Rachel was my friend. We met in 2009, and I sort of watched her grow into the um, progressive faith influence that she became. She was a writer, a theologian, though she would have probably challenged that. She wrote four books while she was here. She's got another, I think she has one more coming. This is her first children's book. Rachel was a New York Times bestselling author before this book came out. She's been on every list. She's been on every podcast and from NPR to the New York Times has, have, has celebrated her life. It was when, you know, she, two years ago, she became sick in April of 2019 and passed away unexpectedly three and a half weeks later on, on May 4th. She was just, a, uh, she was wise beyond her years and was a force in so many faith circles and political circles. She was a, an activist for women, an activist for people of color, activist for LGBTQ people. There wasn't really anyone else, there's no one else like, quite like Rachel. She really had a, she had an approach that moved you even, even when you disagreed with her. Like you just, you couldn't, you couldn't dislike her. She ju- was just brilliant. What an honor for me as her friend to carry these words across the finish line for her. It has been a emotional, moving experience from day one. I've said this before. I feel like I needed this book before every, anybody else did. I've also heard you say uh, that she burned down the patriarchy one article at a time. And this idea that she was fierce and kind How did the two of you come to know each other? A mutual friend, mutual writing friend, introduced us via email. And because we both lived in Tennessee, we ended up getting booked on the very same Southern Book Festival. So her book, her first book had just come out. Or actually, she had, we had, we became email friends because she wanted me to endorse her first book. And so that was how we first met. And then we became fast friends. We first met in person like just a couple months after her first book release, we were at the Southern Book Festival and there were like eight people there to listen to us (laughs) read our books. (laughs) Don't you love those? And um, and I, you know, I I have a, a really unique perspective just because I saw like one of her very first speaking engagements. This was one of her first things that she did publicly with her book. And, you know, when I think about the, the woman I met, on that day. And then 
fast forward to 2018 when I heard her speak at, you know, the conference that she and Sarah Bessie, another writer friend of mine, that they put together Evolving Faith in North Carolina. When I, when I compare the two, it's like night and day because like Rachel grew into the force that she was. We were both bloggers. And so like there was, there was a good, we have a circle of friends who were all bloggers at the, during that time and during the, you know, when blogging was a thing. And we all, and when anytime we were, there was a topic that we were going to write about, we'd all write about it. And we'd want to beat Rachel to the punch because we knew that Rachel was going to kick our butts with <laughs> research and preparation. And it was going to cover every angle. And we were just going, like our, our, we were, I, our posts were going to be emotional and funny and moody. And hers were go- was going to be, you know, bring the information and challenge all the things. And so like she, she used her words well. She was a friend of mine, but I learned as much from her as, as anybody. I love that. Searching for Sunday, loving, leaving, and finding the church felt like a, a real-time description of, of what you're talking about. Like, this is the church that I've loved, and here's why I have to move in a different direction. I met Rachel in 2016, so I didn't meet her till what turned out to be the, in the last years of her life. And I drove to a panel was the year my book came out, and I drove to a panel that she was sitting on, you know, hours away in the Midwest because I heard she would be there. And it was a panel about women and faith. At the end, my hand went up before I even had thought about my question, and my knees are shaking, and I stood up and I said, I wonder, I was raised Catholic, but I wonder sometimes about the messages that we hand down to our children, especially our daughters, about power and agency and self-worth. How do I raise daughters who can run for president, who can become astronauts, but can't stand on the altar and celebrate mass? And so I asked this question, and the two other women on the panel, whose names I've forgotten, told me they would pray for me. And then one of them said, but also I should pray for me. (laughs) And then Rachel was Rachel was third. So the other two, the other other two women said, pray about your doubts, and Rachel anointed my doubts. She was funny and welcoming. And she said, if you're not sure about God and faith, come sit next to me because there is room for all of us at this table. And I sat down and cried in public. And I'm crying now thinking about what it felt like to say I'm afraid and I'm not sure and I have doubt and to have this rock star say, I love you for saying that. And there's room for all of that here. Afterwards, you know, we turned out we both had sons named Henry, which it turns out moms of Henry's unite. And afterwards, she asked about my own writing and, and made time to, to tweet about my book. She had no need to be generous with her time, but I don't think my story is a one-off. I think that that's what Rachel was really like. That was Rachel. Like, you know, one of the, the, the things that all of her friends, most of her friends could do is we can search our emails and we can all find emails from Rachel at very, very specific moments of her encouraging us or her saying, you know, I just let you know I'm thinking about you. I'm so sorry that you're like she was the person who would see where people were and join them in that in that story. The one thing that I love because I love I, like one of my favorite parts of this whole experience has been releasing this new book has been uh, hearing people's experience with Rachel. And if, you know, you met her, like, you know, like she was the most down to earth, like, I mean, you know, from a teeny tiny town in Tennessee, 
out in the middle of nowhere. Nothing about her influence and ex- like success as a writer and a, a mover and a shaker makes any sense whatsoever. But it, it, it does in light of, you know, just how God uses people. Um, and so that is, uh, it was a powerful thing to, it's a powerful thing to just hear people talk about Rachel and just how she affected their story. Well, Rachel passed away in 2019, as you said, unexpectedly, especially for those of us on the outside. I couldn't believe it when I heard that. And this book, What Is God Like?, came out this year in 2021. And I'm wondering, how did you come to be involved in this project? Rachel was transferred, while she was sick, was transferred to Vanderbilt, the university hospital. So I was one of the few people that Dan knew in Nashville, or, and, we, and we didn't know each other. Dan is, was, is her husband. You know, I'd met him a couple times, but he knew me. And so he and asked me if I'd come to the hospital. And so I, that first time I went to visit Rachel, I, um, Dan, was, Dan told me, he goes, I don't know if Rachel talked to you about this, but she's been working on children's books. And so, and at that point we were, you know, it was this, just a, a little story, you know, as we were sitting there, and so I, you know, I would say probably two and a half months after Rachel passed, my editor called to tell me that they that she was trying to publish Rachel's children's books. During that conversation, there, he, uh, she was like, "I really would love for you to consider finishing them." And I said, "You know, I, I would that would be such an honor. I'm mean, like, I'm so honored to even be invited to that to do that. But I want to talk to people because, like, I'm I was afraid that I wasn't the right person just because of all that Rachel stood for, all that all of the people who Rachel, whose voices Rachel elevated. And I just I need I needed affirmation from her friends and from and of course from Dan and and every one of them just gave me full on affirmation that I was the right person to do this." because of just my, I had written children's books. And, and so my goal was to get as far away as possible and just let Rachel's message and book shine. I've read that you said that what is God like is a gift to Rachel's readers, right? It's a, it's a gift to us from Rachel, but also it was a gift to you. How has this book been a gift to you? If you know anything about my story, <laughs> in 2020, my wife and I separated and we're divorced now. It was because I came out as gay. So when I was handed this book, I was in one of the darkest, most lonely moments in my whole life. Like I just, I felt like a failure at every little thing. And in the process of writing this book, Rachel helped me feel seen, helped me feel loved helped me. um, It was, I've told Dan, I was like, it was the only good thing that happened in my life during that, like during a six month, eight month time period where everything was hard. And this book was even hard, but it was a, it was also hope. It felt like a grace amid all the things happening in my story. And not only did it help me through my own situation with all the stuff going on in my life, it helped me heal in the you know helped me grieve um it helped me heal like the with from the idea of losing rachel rachel helped me see a side of god that i didn't think about when i got to the part that was you know god is like a mother like i mean there were moments like i was so close to the book like i i like i mean i i felt like i was in the moment of like experiencing god the way rachel was seeing and feeling god 
that moved me because I just, I was going through a time when I needed, I needed God to be just like a mom. So I want to share those lines because they also grabbed my heart. God is like a mother, strong and safe. You can crawl up into her lap whenever you want to, and she will hold you until you fall asleep. Again, I was raised Catholic. We had lots of fathers and sons in our God. But I love the image of God as being like a mother. I'm a, a mother of three. I come and go in my faith. I come and go in, in my feelings of closeness to God. But the steadfastness of my love for my children and them cuddling in my lap, God, or what I would describe as God, some of the most powerful feelings I ever feel are when I hold my children. And that, uh, you, know, you know what I mean. Oh, <laughs> you, you absolutely, this. absolutely. And it, and it, I mean, it took me back to some of the best moments with, you know, that happened with, as, in my childhood. I mean, we, we, I mean, we all bring, we've all been on some level from our, from our faith story, especially if you grew up in church, you, 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 there's chances are you've got some baggage. Some people have way more baggage than others. This, the imagery that Rachel helped us, helps us experience God in this book is it, 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 it's healing. For some people, it's going to be alarming at first, or it's going to be different or outside the box. But if you work through those differences, it is a healing book for both children and for adults. But in order to turn the tide, we also had to change the story. We had to, we have to give our kids a different story. We have to give our kids a, a, a different ap- approach to the story of God. That included the concept of questions and searching. And, you know, and when you're not sure, you know, the idea of ever not being sure growing up was not even in my, I wasn't allowed to be unsure. I wasn't allowed to ask questions. And so hopefully this inspires healthier believers, healthier doubters, healthier people of faith. Yeah, I know. For those of us who came up in the world of organized religion, we may love the idea of God. But part of what always attracted me to Rachel's work, at least, was that I, I didn't always love the gatekeepers, the man-made constructs that stood between me and belief, between me and faith, between me and love. What was your childhood experience with religion? What was it like growing up for you? <laughs> That's a loaded question, Anne-Marie. <laughs> I, I went to an independent, fundamental Baptist church. My parents <laughs> left the Methodist church when I was four years old so and, and helped start this conservative Baptist, very proudly Baptist church. I had Barbies burned in front of me to explain hell when I was in second grade. That was oh. like, that was a Sunday school lesson. Oh my god! And then I also went to the school that was in that was associated with the church. So I I had a very toxic, hard understanding of God growing up. I could literally talk for eight podcasts on just the drama and the um, healing that had to take place in order for me to heal from my growing up with, you know, in my, my God life of growing up. Because there really was no other light. Like, I mean, our whole life changed when we started this church. You know, my mom, on one day, it was okay for her to wear pants. The next day, it was not allowed. She was not allowed to wear pants. We weren't allowed to go to a movie theater. We weren't allowed to listen to music with drums. We Like, it was all across the board. I mean, you know, we were 
proud patriot, you know, patriotic followers of God. It took a lot of healing. And so every step away, every step that I've taken away created a, a war that happened within my family. Like I remember when my, my mom found out I went to a movie theater, my, she cried for two days. You know, it was just like, so every, and so I learned really, I, I, I learned early that I had to keep secrets. And so, because like it's, the, it was too, it was not worth it to let my mom in on anything that was going on in my story because like some situations or some things were bigger than others. The movie theater thing that only lasted a couple of days, but I experimented with Calvinism in college. And so I, uh, <laughs> that was a big deal. Like, oh, maybe my, my parents did not like Calvinists. Like, I, you know, <laughs> and so it just, it, like, so every little thing created a dramatic experience that I had to contend with. And so I just, I started keeping things. And, you know, and God forbid they found out, find out that I wasn't straight. And, you know, and I wasn't even ready at that point. And it wasn't anywhere close to being ready to uh, talk about not being straight. And so, like, it just, uh, it, my, my experience growing up in fundamentalism has impacted every aspect of my story. Do you ever question your own faith? Absolutely. To me, it's like when somebody becomes, you know, they deconvert from Christianity and they, you know, they, they take on the label of agnostic or atheist or whatever. And I just, I relate to that because I have days when I don't, I wake up and I am an agnostic. I mean, like I have weeks when I wake up and I'm, it feels way easier to be an atheist than to deal, sit in my own faith. God has always been such a vivid part of my story for good and for bad. But it has been such a vivid part of my story. I, I, I've never really been able to fully let go of God. But do I, like, I fully, fully understand the challenges and the, the, the leaps that people have to take in order to believe. And I certainly can see why people deconvert, why people, you know, the people who are, have no experience with faith or didn't grow up in church, they, you know, they choose not to. I mean, and also then you have the whole, like, the ugliness of Christianity, just the ugliness of the cultural, pol the politics, the, the nationalism, and all the various things that make American Christianity just grotesque. I've had just, just enough moments where God has felt so real that I just, I, I, I keep believing somehow. Like I get up the next day and I believe again, <laughs> or I, I, I just, I can't ever let it go fully. No, I understand that. My father passed away last year, and as a caregiver, that meant um, when he entered hospice, we knew that he was in the last days of his life, and I was able to hold his hand as he took those last breaths, and I got to be there and love him from this life into his final sleep. And I don't, I don't know where he went. I don't know if there's a heaven or not, and I'm never going to get to know that. And so some days— I feel a real crisis of, of faith. I'm not in a place where I'm talking to God very much, but I do talk to my dad. If I've had a tough day with my kids, I talk to my dad. Dad, I don't know how you did it with four. And I'll talk to dad. It's half prayer and half missing him. And I don't know where God is in that. I felt God when I held my father's hand. I felt God when I knew that I had done everything I could for my dad and loved him through it and he loved me. I, I felt God there. But since he's gone, some days I'm really angry 
you know, um, I don't always find my way back to God because I'm torn between being angry at a God who would let something like this brain cancer happen to my dad or or or, or let Rachel die without raising her children, right? I, I feel angry at that kind of a God. Why would I want to believe in someone like that? And then other days I'm I'm reminded of the love that he had for me and that there's God in that love. Maybe the word for God and love are interchangeable sometimes in my heart, but you're right about organized religion can sometimes stand between us and that belief. And I think that it's the people that we know and love are about as close to God as we get most of our life, if not all of it. And so your connection to your dad somehow had a spiritual thing. There was a spiritual, there, there was a spiritual layer at least. And so losing him affected that. And, and, and like, so it makes sense for, for you to be walking through anger and, and heartbreak and heartache and it be a spiritual thing. When I lost my grandmother, my grandmother was like the, she was the picture of Jesus for me when I was a kid. Like she was the joy, she was the light. Like we, she went to the same church when she talked about God, it was not the God, like it was different than the God I met at church. Like I just, it just was different. Losing her, I, lo- I, I, I lost a little bit of the good God that I, that I did not have in the rest of my life. Like that was a big, that was a big moment. And throughout this, I'm glad you had that, that grandmother connection through what was sounding more and more like a Kevin Bacon movie in your <laughs> church. I hope that's the movie, by the way, that you went and saw when you snuck out to that movie. <laughs> no, it was not. Um. <laughs> it was worse. It was Robin Hood Men in Tights. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Is that the one with Kevin Costner's butt? I'm trying to think. Is no, that, that, was, to that was that oh, was. Oh, no, Kevin. no, that's, that's the actual. <laughs> that was the other. That was the actual Robin Hood. This was the parody. Okay. <laughs> this was it was it's terrible like it's, but there were there were a couple funny moments for sure. Uh, well, I'm glad uh, you had that that relationship with your with your grandmother that brought joy through a difficult a difficult time. And I I just I feel all of these of uh, these doubts and this love in this book. Even even when you guys write, God is like the wind, passionate and full of mystery. God is both here and mysteriously also over there. I mean, that concept for a child, right, that's that's so hard for anyone to believe. And yet when you guys write it, like God is like the wind blowing up that for a child, oh, of course, because it's it's wrestling the the trees and it's 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 against it's it's warm sometimes and cool sometimes. I just I love the way that you guys come back to the mystery and the power of God, but it isn't scary. And the mystery isn't isn't scary. It's just part of it. And I have to at least mention one more. I'm, I'm probably giving away the whole book, but That's, people should <laughs> buy okay. it anyway. I love the dancers. <sighs> God is like three, three dancers. dancers, graceful and precise. They move to the same music in very different ways, showcasing all of God's elegance and rhythm in your life. The way that Rachel used to write about churches and how we're we're all these different churches with all these different beliefs and somehow the same and different. I thought your your dancers in this because they they become um, the they God right because sometimes God and this is female right the pronouns change she is a mother sometimes God is is male he is trustworthy and sometimes God is plural. They are your friends 
when you were alone. And I have never in my life seen God referred to with shifting pronouns. And and there's a power. Is there is there not a power in that page? Like there, it, it is. Because I'll be honest Incredible. with you. It, it, like I'll be honest with you. I Dan and I went back and forth because I was. I, in my own book, I avoid pronouns. I don't use, I avoid, it, I avoid, because I know that lots of people don't have good relationships with their moms and their dads and, you know, and so I just use God. God is God is God. And I told Dan, I was like, Dan, I, I love the pronouns, but I also know that this is going to be a stumbling block for lots and lots and lots of people. I am so, so glad he told me to like, let's keep the pronouns because it has become a page of healing for me. And it's, it, it is, and there's, there's, there's like, and if, and for people who are like very particular about scripture, there are scriptural, there's scriptural precedents for all three in the book of Genesis, God is referred to as us. What, you know, we created mankind in our, in our own image. It's not outside of scripture to think of God as a, in the plural sense. And so with they and them pronouns. And so it is, um, and I don't know why it's moving to get to that page after all of these things that you've seen what God is like to get to that page and where it says, she is your protector. He is trustworthy. They are friends. They are your friends. And it's just, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so like that, um, the Trinity page, that was the only, that was one, that was one of the big things that we asked, asking who to, to do the illustrator. We wanted the, the Trinity to be represented by three dancers and for them to be very diverse, very like non-binary characters of, of, or non-binary people and celebrate diversity. And uh, it is, it is one of my favorite pages. Yeah. Ying Hui Tan's illustration there, you're absolutely right that that all three of those dancers are in bodies of various shapes and sizes with, with hair colors of, of different hues, with, with, with someone has a beard, someone's ponytail is flying. That page takes my breath away. And then, of course, the Trinity every, every single time because there's room for everyone in this book. There's room for faith. There's room for doubt. There's room for you and me and all of us. I once heard... Uh, I don't know, it was a, not a sermon, but a talk about the loaves and the fishes. And I remember very little of what I hear in, in talks, but this one stayed with me that it just asked, did it matter or not that Jesus was God that day? The loaves and the fishes, of course, there's a whole crowd of people they're listening to sermonizing and it comes time to eat. And, and is there any food? Do people have anything? And, and, and in one interpretation of the story that, that turns a few loaves and a few fish into enough to feed many, many people. Or in another version of the story, food somehow appears. Where does the food come from? And the person was just asking, does it matter if there was magic that day or not? Like literal poof, and now there's food magic. Because either way, either way, wasn't there magic? Because if you bought a granola bar that day that you hadn't intended to share, and I didn't have one, but I had a half a bag of of old raisins and we sh- and we split them. Isn't there magic that day? So the person wasn't saying, I know if there was or wasn't magic. It was just this idea that aren't we called to be generous of heart 
and giving, loving individuals? Aren't we called to say, hey, I have this thing. Would you like half or more? Isn't that, whether, whether, the, whether there was magic or not, there was magic. And that interpretation of that made me think about all the stories that I grew up hearing, that the Shazam Jesus is actually less interesting to me uh, than, right. than the one who's like, And it's funny, I don't, don't even think about that Jesus. I don't, I know, I, right, exactly, exactly. You know, I, 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 it's so funny. I don't think, like, Jesus, the miracle Jesus is not the Jesus, the first Jesus that I think about anymore. I think about, like, hey, be salt. What does that mean? Well, like, be a preservative. Bring or or be the thing that brings out all the godness that are that's all around you. Like be that person when you start to rethink how you engage God or how you engage the faith story. It is it's all those little things. All those little things really do matter. Like I it, like I I love what that you bring up that it doesn't matter whether there was actual magic. There was still magic. People still got fed. People still shared. People. Jesus still stopped his sermon and said, you know what? Our bodies are speaking to us. Let's let our bodies speak for a minute and have a minute. We don't get those nuances so often. No, most of us didn't. Hey, what's it like to be a gay man? You said you came out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what's it like to be a gay man? I know that's not the end of my question. What's it like? Speak on behalf of all gay men, if you would, Matthew. If you've got it, no. What's it like to to be a gay man writing Christian books at a time when not all Christians are accepting of gay men, but more are now than ever before? What is that like to be you now writing this? I can say that coming out for me was one of the most beautiful things that ever happened in my life. And I say that not because it was perfect or not because people were all kind because they weren't, but the fog lifted. I lived so much of my adult life in the fog. It doesn't mean I wasn't always unhappy. I, 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 Jessica is the most amazing woman I've ever known. And it was a joy. Um, to Jessica, be, your wife. Jessica, my wife. It, was, yes, it, it yes. was a joy to be married. We're still very much best friends. But I personally lived in a fog. And when I came out, when my truth, when I was, became willing and unafraid to say that out loud, I wake up, I wake up a different person every single day. And every single day is not perfect, but I'm different. I'm walking in my own story. My kids see a difference, my, or Jessica sees a difference. Like, I feel like for the first time, I am letting the average person see the whole me. When you've been hiding a part of yourself for so long or afraid of a part of yourself or like well, all the mm-hmm. things, like when you like let that part of you be seen, it's like your friendships change, all the things change. And I am, I love that I can still write about God because <laughs> I didn't think that I'd be able to write about God and after, because I thought that people would, I pictured the very worst. Like I pictured book burnings and, um, Lots and lots of uh, people returning their books to the stores and whatever. But let me just say, I have been loved by the multitude of people who've reached out to me. Like, I mean, not just loved, celebrated, not just tolerated, affirmed and celebrated. I do believe that it, I, I think that lots of things have changed in the last 25 years. And there has been a shift in how people, especially in the last couple of years, and, my, and I had the grace of standing on a whole bunch of people's stories who came out when it was scary as hell. 
And so I was standing on their shoulders when I came out to a warm, beautiful, welcoming reaction. But thank you for asking that. I'm glad that you asked that because I... I was listening and wondering it. And so I thought, well, I'll ask and, and I'm, thank you for answering. You said earlier that throughout this book, throughout What Is God Like, it coming to the world, people say to you, because of Rachel, I fill in the blank. Because of Rachel, I fill in the blank. Is there any part of your story that you just told me that is because of Rachel? I understand that it would be because of many people, but is, does she factor in to your decision to to let your light out from under the bushel and just be your whole self? Rachel and I sort of became the... I became a couple uh, of voices in the Christian culture that because we didn't have a church attached to us, because we were our own thing, like we, we had to like look in the mirror and deal with the person in the mirror. We welcomed people of all orientations long before it, long before it, lots of other people did. But Rachel theologized it. I, for me, it was just like, you know what? It just makes sense. Like it just makes, like, I believe Jesus would be sitting at the table with the people who are gay and I, you know, and queer and, you know, transgender. And I, I mean, I just, I have zero, I have zero doubt that Jesus would not have just been attracted to that group, you know, the, uh, the LGBTQ people. And so it just made sense for me. I got to a place where I was like, if I can't be out, what can I do? to make it easier for kids who are growing up in church now to be themselves. Can I, is there anything like, how can I use my influence to, to fight their fight? And so that's kind of what I, you know, one of my, my very first children's book was called When God Made You. And there's a moment in there where I, it's called So Be You, Fully You, a show-stopping review. Live your life in full color, every tint, every hue. Discover, explore, have faith, but love more and learn and relearn all that God made you for. And so I, I like, when I wrote that line, <laughs> I'll never forget, like I fell down, <laughs> fell down and just wept because I was writing to myself and I was mm-hmm. writing. But at that point, I was writing for all the kids who were growing up in church, who were gay and they knew they were gay. And I wanted them to feel loved seen. I just wanted them to feel loved, feel something that I never got. I'm so glad you mentioned that. And that is exactly what those lines do for you. I was learning your story and going back and reading your books. And I heard those lines and I wondered if you wrote them before or after you came out. And it, it turns out it doesn't even matter because it's all part of your journey. And I heard that again and again in this book and in your previous ones, whether you heard it or not, it is there and it's glorious. Those lines that you guys wrote together, whenever you aren't sure what God is like, think about what makes you feel safe, what makes you feel brave, what makes you feel loved. That's what God is like. I just have never read anything like your books, this one and and the ones before. I am thankful that you guys did this and that you're still out there doing this work. As uh, as Rachel's husband, Dan, said, this is the first book of hers that her children, Henry and Harper, Rachel's kids, will read. Uh, thank you for writing it. I could talk to you about this all day, but they, they make me only talk for an hour. So we get to close with icebreakers. I know at your camp counselors and at your church, your retreat leaders always would have started with icebreakers, but we like to end with them. So okay. these are just multiple choice questions. Just multiple okay. choice. You just pick one. Dogs or cats? 
Dogs. Coffee or tea? Tea. Mountains or beach? Mountains. Cake or pie? Cake. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Are you a risk taker or the person who always knows where the band-aids are? Probably the band-aid. And then which performance do you like better, Kate Winslet in Titanic or Kate Winslet in The Mayor of Easttown? Kate Winslet in The Mayor of Easttown, of course. <laughs> oh, like, one of the best shows in the last 30 years. On Like, just it's beautifully written. Just so many, like, richly rich characters that you just related to. I'm always fascinated for somebody as well-known as, like, Kate Winslet when she's like portraying a character, when you ha- actually have moments where you sort of almost forget that it's Kate Winslet. She becomes so much mayor, and the, girl, and the woman who plays her best friend is one of the most, like, I, what, I, and I can't think of her name, and I'm sorry, but like. No, she's in I, Tanya as well. I keep seeing her in all these films since, since yes, you're right. This is Mayor of Easttown. For people who don't know what we're yammering on about, uh, Matthew and I have a shared interest. I don't watch crime dramas. I don't like dark, tragic things. I do not watch this kind of show, but I was captivated by this Kate Winslet portrayal of a woman, a detective called Mayor of Easttown. And, and her best friend's played by woman. Julianne Nicholson. N- Julianne Nicholson, exactly. Yeah. Julianne Thank you. Nicholson. Kate Winslet fought to keep wrinkles, belly rolls, flaws on screen. She has gone out of her way to make this main character unpolished and unfiltered. And you're right. You forget it's Kate Winslet, but you feel like I've, I've grown up here in the Midwest and I felt like I was watching. I'd been in those houses. I knew those people. <laughs> oh. Some of them were my cousins, even though the story is not a story that happened to me. But but the churches that they're going to, this community feels like people you know. And even when a character was out, like like the daughter who, you know, you find out, like, which is not really, this is not a spoiler, but you find out who's a lesbian in, you know, the daughter, uh, Kate's daughter in the show. And how they interacted with that storyline was not, like, there, she just was who she is. Like, it, it, there was no, like, drama built around that. Like, it was, it, it was, a, it was a part of the story. You watched a, a little bit of that storyline play out, but it wasn't, there was no, there was a, a love that had happened or an acceptance that had happened before we came into to, to, to seeing what was going on in their sto- this story. And I love that. Like, I, there was a, again, it was just, it was like one day we started interacting with Mare of Easttown. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and just started watching that story. And the richness of the characters, you loved and, and or felt sorry for every single person on the show at some point in the story. Okay, I have a few a few other questions for you. These are not multiple choice. These are short answer. Just okay. they're worth more points. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who, was one of, who was one of your best teachers? I'm going to have to go with my grandmother because my I, I, I grew up in a private school and I had some really awful teachers. My grandmother was my teacher. What was your grandmother's name? I know you said she passed away. What was her name? Olive Abigail King. And my my daughter's name is Adeline Olive. And so she's named after Emma. That's wonderful. That's beautiful. What's a song you love? Anything by Amy Grant. Like I I have been an Amy I've been an Amy Grant fan for way, like way mm-hmm. long. And so 
And, 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 and even though I wasn't really allowed to listen to Amy growing up because, she, you know, she had really? drums in her. Yeah, she, she had oh, drums in her drums. music. So, like, any Christian rock was not allowed. But but I would I would literally sneak listening to her in my car as I, when I once I finally started driving. And she gave me a glimpse of God and life outside of what my little bubble that I I just wanted to know. Give me a favorite <laughs> book or movie. Dead Man Walking. That movie was the first movie that really just moved me from a spiritual again, I was I was a late bloomer with movies because of my childhood, but um the look on Susan Sarandon's face at the at the end at the end was like it was the most beautiful picture of Jesus I like I had ever seen at that point in my life. And that I didn't understand. It turns out we're allowed to love people no matter what they do. And sometimes it's work. There's something very real about that. Yeah, oh, that's true. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I'd have to, I'd have to get up, geared up for it because I'm pretty sure I cried through at least half of it. Second to last one. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Cookies and cream. Like I, when 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 they put vanilla ice cream together with Oreos. I mean, like I, it just. <laughs> <laughs> I became a fan and I've never, like, it just, uh, there's something, yeah, it's wonderful about it. Yes. I'm old enough to remember the PCC, so the pre-cookies and cream time. There right. was a time. There was a when time when it did not a, exist. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Cookie dough, I remember when that came tumbling in. Yeah. Those are, those are not old school flavors. Those were born in our, in our lifetimes here. You couldn't recreate cookies and cream and do it. Oh, I tried. Yeah, you tried because like, but it's like, it's something about being in that cream for a long period of time and frozen together for a long, like there's, right. there's, there's a, there's an aging process that has to happen with cookies and cream <laughs> that make it we really good. We crunch them up. Oh, We'd yeah, crunch totally. them up and smash them in, but the ratios were always wrong and the pieces were, were too small because you And they were too hard. Them. Like they were too crunchy. Mm-hmm. Like it was always too crunchy. Yeah. Like there's that, like that, it, like, then you would like search the, the, the ice cream gallon for that perfect bite where there would be like two whole cookies that were almost whole in every half gallon and you would go like looking for it. Take them. <laughs> you could always no. tell if I'd been at the ice cream because it'd been dug through and you could see where those <laughs> so had been true. tried out. My children yeah. now do that same thing. I've taught them well. Uh, uh, that's it. That's it. And then last one, if we were to take a snapshot, a picture of you really happy doing something you love, what would we see you doing? During the pandemic, my kids and I would uh, go on a hike or a bike ride every single day. And we found a lot of joy in that simple act of doing it every, almost every day together. And it was a time of really fun conversations, time when we just, so, so it would just be me Literally, because my youngest is still on a scooter, so he would scoot, my two oldest would be on bikes, and I would be trying to run, (laughs) keeping up with the one on the scooter. (laughs) So it would be that, some sort of picture of that, because that has been, that was, that's been a really beautiful thing during this last year and a half. I can picture that, and that's a great, that's a great image. Oh, Matthew, I'm so glad to have been able to meet you today and talk to you. Today, this has been great. One of my favorite lines from another one of Rachel's books, Inspired, is that when she says we live inside an unfinished story. And I was thinking about that because you literally took uh, an unfinished story of hers and stewarded it into the world. And we're all living inside of Rachel's unfinished 
story and we're lucky to be here. But I'm glad to to meet you in your unfinished story. Thank you. And to be to be part of that. I do think we are called to help one another uh, Uh, live and finish and write those stories. I've loved having this conversation and thank you so much for just the light that you are. Oh, thank you. I'll, I'll tell everyone again about your book. So folks, we'll put the links on the website, but this is Matthew Paul Turner and he is the author of many books. We'll put those links up there. The most recent one is called What Is God Like? You can find it at any independent bookstore near you, at your library, um, wherever you are. We're wishing you love and light wherever the day takes you. And until next time, be good to yourselves begin to one another, and we'll see you again on this wild and precious journey. Wild Precious Life is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producers Gerardo Orlando and Michael D'Aloya, producer Sarah Wilgrube, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.